Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. The Bible says in His presence is fullness of joy. Amen. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord this morning. What a wonderful presence of God is in this place. Amen. We're so thankful for that. The book of 1 Samuel chapter 21. Thank you, Jesus. What a privilege it is to be in the house of the Lord this morning. It's a privilege. Not only do some people around the world not have this privilege, some people are so blinded by false doctrine they don't want this privilege. Amen. I'm glad for our spiritual freedom this morning. Amen. The book of 1 Samuel chapter 21 and verse number 8, the Bible says, And David said unto Ahimelech, is, and is there not here under thine hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, Ahimelech said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, Behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If thou wilt take that, take it. For there is no other save that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it me. Thank you, Jesus. There is none like that. Give it me. I want, I want to minister this morning with the help of the Lord today this, this thought, this question. What do you have in front of you? What do you have in front of you? Would you lift your hands one more time and ask the Lord to touch us today? God, we're so thankful. We're thankful, Lord, for your word, we're thankful for your presence, we're thankful for your power. Lord, we ask you to minister, Lord, to these lips of clay to speak, thus saith the word of the Lord. Help me to be an instrument this morning and a voice piece, God, for your voice, for your word, to what you would have to be spoken to this congregation this morning and that only. I don't want to add to it, I don't want to take away from it. In the name of Jesus, you may be seated this morning, Lord bless you. Our text this morning is taken from a very active set of writings where we must understand a lot of things have already happened to lead us up to this situation, to our reading this morning in 1 Samuel 21 and 8. So you've got to go back a few chapters to really see the context of current events. 
As a matter of fact, just for good Bible reading, this is Bible reading 101, I would recommend that if you're not fully understanding a context of Scripture, read a couple of chapters before and a couple of chapters after. And you'll start really understanding more of the context of what's going on, especially in the Old Testament. But a few chapters back or prior to 1 Samuel 21, we start seeing the context of current events beginning to unfold. That is the apparent jealousy between King Saul to his servant David. David had been anointed king privately by the high priest Samuel. Around approximately the age of 15, there's a lot of debate on the age, but in an approximation, he was around 15. We know he was definitely a teenager. He was definitely young. But soon after David was anointed, and I don't know the exact time frame here, uh, it may be in God's infinite uh, design. Maybe it happened immediately. Maybe it was a few days after. I don't know. I don't know if anyone does. But soon after David was anointed, we see that Saul lost his anointing. David was anointed to be the king while there was still a king on the throne because King Saul, in his disobedience to God, became more interested in his own ego than he was the calling of God to be the king appointed to the people of Israel. So since David cannot immediately ascend to the throne, David begins working where he can to support the people and to fulfill his calling. We see in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse number 56, uh, prior to this verse, David had conquered Goliath, also around the age of 15, a great feat. He had done something that no one in Saul's army was willing to do, and that was to face their enemy head on in the power of the Lord's might. And in 1 Samuel 17, 56, the king Saul said, Inquire thou whose son the stripling is. Saul knows his name is David, but he wants to know more about it. Because now this little young boy, the stripling, if you look that word up, it's an, it's an old archaic word. It just simply means lad or young, young person, young boy. I kind of think, Bishop, I hear a little bit of sarcasm in his tone. Uh, whenever I read this, this verse and I, I see that Saul said, Inquire whose son this stripling is, I interpret that in 2016 language to be, Go find out whose daddy this punk is. I want to know who he is. Yeah, I don't think it was a compliment. I think he's being a little bit sarcastic. And I think he was just really wanting to know what's really going on here and, and what's this about. Jealousy. It's evil. Right. <laughs> and I didn't come to teach or preach on jealousy this morning, but you, you, it don't take much to, to read what happened to King Saul to figure out that jealousy will, will ruin you. Yes. But it begins to set in, and we see this quickly from chapter number 18 because you can go from one verse where... Where, where David is receiving accolades from Saul and two or three verses later we see that Saul's ready to chase after him. So jealousy sets in fairly fast. In chapter 20 we find that there is a story going on. The plot is between David and Jonathan. This is really interesting stuff and I'm trying to just give you a quick summary here this morning. But, but David is already feeling like he's got to run for his life. He doesn't think he's done anything wrong. Everything he's done, he has done because the king asked him to. 
But now the people are saying Saul hath killed his thousand and David hath killed his ten thousand. So the people starting to, to like David and according to Saul's perception and his jealousy, they like David a whole lot more than they like him. And Saul's just not willing to, to really tolerate that. So he sets his eyes, the Bible says, out on David from that day forward. And we see that David and Jonathan in their bond together, Jonathan tells David, go hide in the field. And I'm going to come out, I'm going to go find out from daddy what's going on. And if I come out and I shoot three arrows and they're short of distance, then, that, then you know you can come in. And I'm just giving you high level here. But if I tell the servant, go and get the arrows because they're beyond you, then you know you need to run for your life. So that's exactly what happened. Jonathan comes out, shoots the arrows. He tells the young servant that's with him, go fetch the arrows because they're beyond you. David's out in the bushes somewhere in the field listening. And whenever he hears that, that's his cue that I need, to, I need to get out of Dodge because Saul's after me and he's after my life. So David now in, in 1 Samuel 21 is on the run and he's around approximately the age of 23 by now and he is considered by Saul to be a fugitive. And as a fugitive he is worthy of death. So the entire army of Saul is out seeking after David. Why was Saul jealous is the question. Saul was jealous, and I'll summarize this morning. He had lost his anointing, so God's hand was no longer on him or his efforts. David was anointed to be his successor, obviously something that Saul didn't know about right now. And God's hand was upon David and his efforts. And additionally, I would, I would add this morning that David sought God's permission and God's will before taking any action in his life. That is an important difference, an important attribute that separates David from King Saul is his relationship with God. David gave credit to God. David would ask God if it was right to go into battle beforehand. And David would never shield away from repentance whenever he made a mistake. So now... David's running for his life. He's afraid. He's alone. He doesn't know who he can trust. He comes to the place of the high priest as we read in our scripture text just a few moments ago. When the sword of Goliath was mentioned, things began to come into focus for David. Imagine yourself running for your life from someone. Imagine walking down an alley. I was, I was in New York City back in the summer and I was, I was walking uh, through Times Square and some shops and different things and it was about 9, 9.30 at night. Of course, I was by myself and I was just out looking around, looking at all the lights and all the wonder. And I saw this guy uh, just, he looked like he was following me. But he was following me from the front. And I was walking, and it looked like every time I would take a turn, he'd take a turn. And it was the, it was the weirdest thing, Brother Freddie. And I, I started to get uneasy. And, and I don't, I've traveled enough. I don't get too uneasy too quick. But this really started to unnerve me just a little bit. So I picked up the pace just a little bit and started walking just a little bit faster. I thought if I walk a little faster, we'll see if he does. Well, I don't know if he walked faster or not, but he, he was still there. 
A little bit later, a couple more turns, another block or so, I looked, and there he goes. He's, he's cutting across the road. And he's, he crosses the highway, and he takes a set of stairs over to what looks to be an apartment building. And I'm still paying attention. I'm still being aware of my surroundings because I really don't know what's going on yet. And I've just got this real uneasy feeling in, 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 my, in my being. And, and I stop, and I look, and I think, okay, I'm, I'm clear. Everything's good. And I take a look. And there he stands on the top step of that apartment building, and he's just staring. So I don't know if he thought I was following him, or if I thought he was following me and we both were wrong, or what was going on, but it was an uneasy feeling. So I can just only imagine this morning what David felt like. You know, that, that guy didn't have an arrow and a quiver full of, uh, of arrows and a bow. He, he didn't have a gun strapped to his back. Uh, he didn't have artillery weaponry ready to take me out that, that I know of. Uh, it felt like it for a moment. But uh, I can just imagine what David felt like knowing they're out to get me. It wasn't a figment of his imagination. He wasn't paranoid. He knew with certainty that Saul was out to kill him. So I can only imagine the fear that comes with that. I can only imagine the, 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 the pain and the agony in his mind that comes with that. So in doing so, I have to believe that a lot of things just aren't in focus. Because the only thing he's worried about, he's not worried about his next meal. He's not worried about whether he needs to polish the dust off of his sandals. He's not worried about his wardrobe. He's not worried about his next paycheck. All he's worried about is taking his next breath. And at that point, that's a big deal. So David comes to the high priest and he sees, the, and, and whenever the high priest mentions the sword of Goliath, something begins to change. There's something that comes into focus for David. For now, David is in familiar territory. Because if uh, archaeologists and historians are correct according to their timeline. It's only been a decade or less since David slew the giant. Right. He's not an old man. No. He's in his early 20s now, and it's just been 8 to 10 years since he used this sword. But yes. David still remembers fresh the battle. Yes, David remembers the victory. Uh -huh. David remembers how God delivered him. And all of Israel from that godless giant, Goliath. Strength, I can imagine, comes back to David as he remembers everything associated with this sword. And he says, there is none like that. Give it me. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, I've come to tell you this morning that if you don't have the right thing in front of you, to maintain the right focus in your walk with God, you will lose sight of what's important. And we've never lived in a day where it's more important to keep and maintain focus in our life. We've never lived in a time where that's more important. We've never lived in a time where it's more important to make sure that our priorities are right. Amen. Amen. We are living in an age where people shift their priorities and their focus on what they want based on how they feel. 
We have never lived in a time where that people get offended as easily as we do now. And unfortunately, most of that's in America. That's an American problem. That's, that's not a global problem. Everybody else thinks we're a bunch of sissies. That's an American issue. But it doesn't take away from it. We live in a society where attitudes change just like that. We live in a society where that it's almost like the greater population is bipolar and they don't have medication. They change with the wind. Things shift with the moment. But our God stays the same. And it's important to recognize today that we need something that is, that is standard. We need something that is stationary. We need something that is stable in our life so that we can make it from day to day. Amen. There is nothing more stable in your life that can offer you strength than a relationship with Jesus Christ. But if you don't keep the, the right thing in front of you, everything else becomes a blur. If you don't keep your family in front of you, your focus will shift onto something else. Husbands need to keep their spouse in front of them. I don't mean physically, but mentally. Maybe physically, but mentally. In your vision. Wives need to keep their husbands stage front and center. Instead of complaining about each other, we need to love each other. If you're here this morning and you're having marital problems, I, I can give you the key to solving part of your marital problems. Stop talking about your spouse to everybody else. Yes, thank you, Brother Mason. Thank you. Standing ovation. We appreciate that kind word this morning. Amen. Pardon my sarcasm just a little bit. That's a good word. You're going to have arguments. You're going to have whatever you call it in the home, but it's nobody else's business. But we live in a society where everybody wants to know everything. And in our selfish pride, we want sympathy. And the best way for me to get sympathy for how my husband just talked to me is to go tell everybody else what he just said. It's not their business. We don't... Yeah, I still feel the presence of the Lord. He hasn't gone anywhere. We don't live in a Facebook generation by the Word of God. God's not a Facebook God. I don't intend on being a Facebook Christian. Well, glory. Thank you, Bishop. We've got to keep the right things in the right focus or you won't have the right thing. It's that simple. We've got to keep our children in front of us. It's important. Children need the voice of their father. 
Some moms need to stop tearing their father down to their children. Amen. I don't care if he is a dirtbag. You say that to yourself in the mirror, not to your kid. We need to keep, and I know this should be obvious, but it's not. We need to keep God in center focus to our life. If you take everything away, take the suit, take the job, take the house, take the car, strip all the material stuff away, the only thing I've got left is the very thing that I need the most, and that's a relationship with God. None of this other stuff matters. It's temporary, but I need something that's going to last me from now to tomorrow. I need I need to keep worship as a center focus to my life. You know, worship is one of the only things that you can do feeling horrible that when you're done you feel better than you did when you started. That's amazing. We need to keep our convictions in front of us. Why is that important? Because it's important that you not forget who you are. It's important that you not forget why you do what you do. Vision. Vision is good. The Bible says without a vision the people perish. Vision is necessary. It allows us to do many things. But we need to understand something this morning. Vision alone is not enough. Because vision without focus is just blurry. I can't, I can't really see anything. I, I, can, I can see light. I can see fig. Jesus went to heal a blind man. And I believe it's the one where he, he spit in his eyes. He wiped the, the, the crud out of his eyes and all the junk. He said, how do you see? He said, well, I, I, I see men walking these trees. And he spit on him again. Now, how would, you, how would you react if you come up for prayer and Bishop spit in your face? That's exactly right. That's what would happen to you. Then after we would go like that, flesh might take over. <laughs> right? We might not hang around to see what happens next. Jesus spit on his eyes. You say, well, that's all right because that was Jesus. Well, then what's the difference between him doing it then and him doing it now? He didn't see clearly the first time, and Jesus didn't stop till his vision was clear. My point this morning is, is blurred, blurred vision isn't going to get you anywhere but confused. We've got to see clearly. And it is God's will for us to see clearly what His Word says and how it applies to our life. Blurred vision brings a handicap. 
Blurred vision will stop you. It will handcuff you. You you won't see God. You won't see your family. You won't you'll lose your witness because you won't even see yourself. You won't see yourself or your shortcomings. Blurred vision. Here, listen to this now. Blurred vision leads to excuses. How many times, and some of you that's been in the church for a number of years have seen this, I know. How many times have you seen someone come in, sit on the church pew, and all of a sudden, after two weeks, they know more than what the preacher knows? And you can't teach them anything. They got blurred vision. They need somebody to spit in their face. Don't anybody leave here and go spit in somebody's face and tell them I told you to do it. <laughs> All right? That's not what I'm talking about. Blurred vision leads to acceptance of things that are biblically and spiritually wrong. Because I can't see clearly enough to know the difference. So we need clear focus on exactly what God has for our life. The only place you can get that is here. In the house of God. There's a lot of things you can get at home. You can get the Holy Ghost at home. You could, if you're desperate enough and your bathtub's big enough, I suppose you could baptize yourself if you needed to. There's a lot of things you can do at home. What you can't get at home is teaching that will change your life. Won't happen. Time Magazine produced an article on November 12th of 2015 called 15 Ways to Stay Focused All Day. Since I'm always in the pursuit of things related to continuous improvement and efficiency, this got my attention. So I want to share the 15 steps with you. I'm not going to deep dive into each of them. I'm just going to tell you what they are. But the 15 steps are minimize multitasking. The second one was meditate or pray. Exercise regularly. Make a to-do list. Try a small amount of caffeine. Take breaks. Keep work at work. Train your brain to focus. Now that sounds real easy, doesn't it? Try to find a quiet place. Stare at a distant object for a few minutes. Get a good night's sleep. Work offline. Designate your perfect study spot. Embrace boredom and devote specific hours to tasks. Fifteen steps. Now let me tell you what I didn't get out of this list. Much of anything. Why am I sharing it? I'm sharing it because of this. There is <clears throat> only one way to remain focused. One way. Some of these fifteen steps, yeah, they're fine. They're not going to transform your life. One way. I'll tell you one way. You've got to work at it. There's no magic bullet. There's no, thus saith God, boom. You're now focused for the rest of your life. Hello? It takes effort. You want to stay saved? Stay saved. I'm not, I'm not trying to be sarcastic this morning. I'm, I'm serious. If you want to live for God, live for God. 
Nothing, the Bible says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. <clears throat> Except for us. The only person that can cause me to backslide is me. <clears throat> it's not someone who offends me. They didn't give me this joy. They sure shouldn't take it away. They didn't give me the Holy Ghost, so why should I let them make me walk away from it? The only thing that it takes to stay focused is the effort required. It does not happen by accident. You don't serve God by accident. You don't get the Holy Ghost by accident. You've got to want it. You don't get baptized by accident. You just don't wake up one day and find yourself in the pool. It takes telling, Pastor, I won't be baptized. And it takes the effort of walking into the water. I know this is elementary this morning, but it's still good. It takes effort to serve God. And I, I would challenge you this morning to say that it takes just as much effort to serve God as it does to walk away from Him. And I might even add, I think it takes more effort to walk away from Him than it does to serve Him. Because to walk away from Him, I've got to fight my conscience every day. And that's got to be a battle. So the question this morning is, what are you chasing after? Are you chasing after justification or are you chasing righteousness? Because blurred vision, not having the right thing in front of you, will cause us to seek one or the other. I'll either justify myself in the position I'm in or I'll understand that I need repentance and I'll find righteousness in God. A person who is always right cannot be reasoned with. You ever tried to convince someone who thinks they're always right that they're actually wrong? Now some of you ladies is looking at your husband. Now you need to stop that. This is the house of God now. Don't be ashamed of yourself. Can't, you can't reason with them. Their arrogance results in blurred vision, limiting their ability to see reality or the truth. So, we need to stop pining after a prophet. What are you talking about? We, we need to stop praying that God would send a prophet through to tell us what we already know. Some of you need to clip your angel's wings just a little bit. Don't tell me that you've never prayed that God would confirm something for you through someone that don't know you to make you feel a little bit more warm and fuzzy about the idea that you're supposed to do something that God's already told you to do. We've probably all been in that situation. <clears throat> but what we would be better off to do today is to listen and to respond to what we already know. I don't need someone to read my mail to tell me something that I already know. What I need is obedience. So the ingredient that I'm lacking is not hearing. The ingredient that I'm lacking is submission and obedience. We need to, we need to listen and respond to preaching. We need to respond in an altar service. We need to stop waiting on God to miraculously read our mail. We just need to listen to Him and obey Him. Because the only difference between prophecy and fortune telling is the spirit that's behind the vision. What's in front of you? 
What do you have in front of you? Because what you have in front of you determines where you go from here. And I've got to have the right thing in front of me. If I don't have the right thing in front of me, I will not serve you. David said, set no evil before thine eyes. That, that verse applies to more than just television. They didn't have one then. Set no evil before that. Don't put the wrong thing in front of you. Because whatever is in front of you is what you're following. There is a tale of a king, a carrot, and a horse. The tale goes like this. It says, once upon a time there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. He took it to his king and said, My lord, this is the greatest carrot I have ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was touched and discerned the man's heart, so as he turned to go, the king said, Wait! You are clearly a good steward of the earth. I own a plot of land right next to yours. I want to give it to you freely as a gift so you can garden it all. The gardener was amazed and delighted and went home rejoicing. There was a nobleman in the king's court who overheard all of this, and he said to himself, My, if that is what you get for a carrot, what if you gave the king something better? So the next day the nobleman came back before the king and he was leading a handsome black stallion. He bowed his head low and he said, My lord, I breed horses and this is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will. Therefore I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said thank you and took the horse and simply dismissed him. The nobleman was perplexed so the king told him, he said, let me explain. That gardener was giving me the carrot. But you gave yourself the horse. In case it's Sunday morning and you haven't had a, enough coffee yet to really get that, let me explain. He gave it with the wrong motive. He gave something great with anticipation of getting something back that was great. The man with the carrot just simply gave it. Didn't expect to get anything. What are you saying this morning, Brother Mason? I'm saying, what, are you, what do you have in front of you and what are you giving God? Is what you're giving God for Him or is what you're giving God for you? Because there is a difference. And all he wants from us is what we can give him that is just for him. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to close today. It's important that we know what is in front of us. David saw the sword, and when he saw the sword, he knew it's going to be all right. It didn't get easy after that. He still had to run for his life. But he survived. He survived because what he had in front of him was symbolic of God's support for him. Because David followed God. All we have to do today is follow after God. 
in our life. Not just when we're here, but in our life. And if you follow after God and put the right thing in front of you, everything will be all right. Would you lift your hands this morning as Bishop comes to close this service and just begin to talk to the Lord today and just thank Him. Thank Him for His Word. Thank Him for His presence this morning. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.